Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on a rainy Monday here in Knoxville, Tennessee. But Eric Kane, it was all sunshine and kind of roses for Tennessee baseball over the weekend. The end result was all that mattered. Tennessee takes the series from Alabama, and it was quite theatric, Eric. I was going to say it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows there for a little bit, but in the end, all that matters is you got another series victory. So um, you were not going to go undefeated in SEC play. You were not going to go undefeated likely at home all year long. You hope to not have too many back-to-back or two-game losing streaks, but in result, you win more games than you lose, and that's what you did this past weekend. So um, it was good, but as we'll we'll talk on, Ben, it could have been costly in a number of areas. It could, and we have so many different things to talk about, Eric, but we're going to start right here, and that's that it's my fault Tennessee baseball lost. You you did the around the horn with me mm-hmm. on Friday, and I pointed out after after the game that I was rocking the mustache all week. I, I trimmed down to just a mustache on Monday. Tennessee's 23-game winning streak comes to an end on Tuesday against Tennessee Tech. That was the first day with the stash, and then I kept the stash all week. Friday, Tennessee loses the opener to Alabama 6-3, to and I told you on Around the Horn that I was going to go home and I was going to shave the mustache because it is bad luck, and sure enough, it may not have helped me with my Grizzlies in Game 1 against the T-Wolves on Saturday afternoon, but it did get the bad jujus off the back of Tennessee baseball because I shaved the stash after going 0-2, and I come back in no stash. They go 2-0, and and, and they do so in pretty <laughs> dominating fashion, winning 9-2 on Saturday, 15-4 to on Sunday. They outscored Alabama 24-6 to after I shaved the stash. So I will take full blame for Tennessee baseball losing those two games last week. Now, does does Beck and does Gilbert and Russell and Tony Vitello do all those guys know that it was your fault? <laughs> uh, no, no. Well, but I, but I, but but there are lovely listeners of the Diamond Vols podcast that I spoke to on Friday night after I spoke to you about shaving off the the stash. And shout out to them. I told them I would find a, a way to sneak them into getting a shout out on the pod. Here, here's your shout out. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. I told them that I, I think the stash is bad luck. And they said, oh, no, don't take the blame. I said, no, I'm taking the blame. I'm going to go no, home and I'm going to shave it. And we're going to figure it out. So th- there are some associated with Tennessee baseball who are aware of, of my stash creating the losses. I don't care what they say about you, man. That's called ownership, maturity, ownership, and uh, taking care of business. So you you, you shave that porn stash off and uh, Tennessee <laughs> Went wild on Saturday and Sunday. So it didn't start off great on Saturday, but it ended well. And of course, the weekend ended well. So good for you. It, it, it did. And Eric, so many things happened this weekend that we could start in a number of different directions. Like here's one note that we probably won't discuss other than me mentioning it right now is that Luke Lipsius hit a home run off a left-handed pitcher on Saturday. And it's like the the 11th most intriguing (laughs) thing that took place over the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. And that's huge for him. Absolutely. On a normal weekend, that'd be a big talking point, but not this one. No. And we'll start with the injuries. I know that's what everybody is most concerned about, especially after Tennessee bounces back and wins the series. We do have some suspensions to discuss. We do. But we'll start with some injuries. Seth Halverson, not going to be back this season. Seth Halverson, for those who have been keeping up with Tennessee baseball, was working back from a fractured arm that he suffered on or suffered January winter months, uh, was throwing a bullpen, fractured his arm, just kind of snapped mid-pitch, which is just freaky to think about, Uh, had been targeting a – early to mid-April return, and he's not going to be able to pitch this season. He had a setback. He's going to have to miss the remainder of the season, uh, which will mean that he misses the entire season. Just really, really unfortunate news for him. 
And, and I hope that he is able to pitch in the future, that he can put this behind him and, and he'll be able to pitch in the long run. Uh, the other injury update, the big one, that that's kind of fresh. Uh, the the other one, Chase Dolander, everybody was well aware of Chase Dolander and, and his situation. On Saturday, he's hit by a line drive off the pitching elbow. And the fear immediately was that he fractured it. MRI results show that he did not fracture the elbow and that he is just dealing with swelling and soreness. So you get great news on Chase Dolander. You originally fear that he has <laughs> fractured his elbow, pitching elbow after taking the line drive off of it, off of his throwing arm too. And I, I would assume that that would have cost him his season considering the point in the season in which it is happening. Uh, obviously, I'm not a, a doctor, but I would assume that if he fractured his arm midway through the season, he's done so. Uh, I mean, look at South Halverson. He fractured his arm in a different manner, not able to come back. Uh, so good news on Chase Dolander, no fracture, no break, just dealing with with it being swollen, dealing with some soreness, and there's not really a timetable on him, just ASAP is what I was told, ASAP, as soon as possible. And then Camden Sewell, he also took a line drive off of the heel, and he was able to keep pitching, and he was tremendous over four innings, really bailing Tennessee out of the early shenanigans in game two takes a line drive off the heel, continues to pitch. He was in a boot after the game, was in a boot when the media saw him walking by on Sunday. He is dealing with a, a bone bruise, but is expected to be okay. So bad news with Seth Halverson, great news with Chase Dolander. No real update on Camden Sewell. I, I did throw that in there, but it, it, was, it wasn't really huge. I mean, Camden's going to be okay. May have to miss a week or so, but he's going to be fine. But you get great news on Chase Dolander and just really unfortunate news for Seth Halverson. Yeah, you hate it. You hate it for anybody uh, that suffers an injury because at this stage in your your career, um, you, you work so hard and especially for him, suffers the injury you know, just a couple of weeks before the season starts and has been working so hard to get back and suffers a setback. So you hate it for him. And I, I echo what you said. Hopefully he can come back and pitch again and, and be effective uh, for sure. You know, Dolander, like now there's more questions. Yes, it's it's great that he did not suffer, uh, you know, um, uh, something more serious. But now how long, how much time is he going to be out? How much, you know, how will that affect his next start? Will he have to be stretched out again? Will he have a pitch count, which I would assume that he would be, especially if he misses time. Um, how's he going to look? Um, but the good thing is it could have been so much worse. And again, at this stage of the season, you can recover. Uh, but you might take a slight hiccup, which is what happened with him. So, and you're right, Sewell was fantastic. When you only get, I mean, you know, last two Chase Burn starts, and obviously with Dolander on Saturday, bullpens had to come up in a major way, and Sewell was fantastic on Saturday. So, um, you went from having an embarrassment of riches, and you're still there because you still have so many quality arms. And how about again, you know, for right, wrong, indifferent, better or worse, you know, we've mentioned it so many times. Things have a way of working out, right? And potentially, um, you're going to need, you know, Blade Tidwell a lot quicker than, than in terms of being maybe, maybe thrust into a starting position uh, here soon than what you anticipated. So, um, still, it, you build your team on the quality of depth and arms, and you get, you're prepared for situations like this. And that's kind of where Tennessee is, in my opinion. But obviously, it sucks for Halverson and a good news, real good news for Dolander. Yes, good news on Dolander. Hopefully he'll be able to regain form. He he was the SEC's leading strikeout man. In terms of what is next and, and looking ahead, this encompasses Blake Tidwell, encompasses Chase Burns. You mentioned that he struggled recently. And, it, and it's funny how in sports, things always tend to work themselves out. Yep. The, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, hey – Blake Tidwell, will will he work his way back into the rotation? My thought process was, hey, just build him up for postseason. Get him ready for Hoover. Get him ready for, for regional weekend. Get him ready for Omaha, so on and so forth. And now with Chase Dolander's injury, and we don't know how much time he is, he is going to miss, so maybe it won't work itself out for as long as, as we anticipate through the rest of the season. 
Because even if, say, Dolander misses two starts, he's not going to be throwing, I would assume, this week or maybe even next week. I don't know when he'll be able to start throwing again. So even when he's cleared to start throwing again, he's going to have to build his arm back up just a little bit, not as drastically as Tidwell or had Halverson returned, but there's going to be a, a, a slight buildup. So um, we'll say that this will work itself out for at least a couple of weeks, maybe up to a month. But you, you pair the Dolander bump in the road with Chase Burns' struggles the last two outings, and I, I really think you see a path towards Blade Tidwell being back into the rotation. And even before... Dolander was injured on Saturday. Friday night after the game, Tony Vitello tells the media that, hey, I'm not going to lie to you. We have thrown out in meetings that when the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series come up in May, we've thrown out throwing Blake Tidwell back into the rotation. So I I think Blake Tidwell at some point don't know what it's going to look like. We'll, We'll see if Burns continues to struggle. We'll see. Uh, how Dolander looks coming back. We'll see when he comes back, but I definitely think you're going to see Blake Tidwell in the rotation for the stretch run. Yeah, as you should. Uh, again, this is the whole reason why, you know, you be cautious, cautious, cautious. Uh, be, you know, luxury when you can have him in the bullpen right now because you got things rolling in the rotation, but now you don't have things rolling in the rotation for the first time all season. And this is, I love, we love the word adversity, you know, how to sensibly respond to adversity in a specific game, a series being on the road. I mean, this right here, bigger picture, roster-wise and, and rotation, I mean, this is true adversity. And I'm so intrigued to see how Tennessee responds and the moves that Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson are, are, are going to do here. So, um, you know, obviously Tony V will be doing a lot of things behind the scenes for the next three games for sure. But um, it's going to be a while, to your point. It's going to be a while before you see Chase Dolan to throw 100 pitches in the start. I mean, it's going to be a while for sure. He might be back out there. But he won't sniff 100 pitches for a while, and that's kind of what he's been doing here lately, you know, going into the seventh inning, eighth inning at one point in time. So um, you still got to – I still have faith in the quality of arms Tennessee has right now because, again, it's just so good. And, and, and again, the luxury you have to where, you know, Tidwell's continuing to build up, build up, build up. You can slide him on in there if you need to right now. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, question, and I don't know if you have the answer to this, Ben. But what is significant about the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series to where that is the time that you were going to slide Tidwell back in there? Do you know? Well, just because nobody's been pitching on Thursdays. Yeah. That's been a day that they have not played baseball on this year. And the thought process amongst college baseball coaches is that on on Friday, you you want to keep your, your Friday guy on their normal day's rest. They go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, building up towards Friday, you don't in the regular season want to all of a sudden throw them on a Thursday. And look, it may not matter in the grand scheme of things, but you'd be amazed that some pitchers that actually messes with them, that they actually can't handle just the, well, you're a creature of habit, man. For exactly. Sure, yeah, exactly. So I think that's mainly what it's about is that blade could, could start that Thursday since nobody else has started. Now you would still have to move, Drew Beam up because you're not going to move Drew Beam out of the rotation at this yeah. point. I, I would imagine. I, I don't. I don't know what that would look like. Honestly, it, it's weird because you, you take Dolander's injury out of consideration. You would probably keep Dolander on Saturday. So would you move Beam to Friday and bump Burns? But even like it's one thing to move a guy up a day from Friday to Thursday. So do you really want to move Beam? all the way up to Friday when he's been pitching on Sunday, it would make more sense to bump. If you're going to remove burns from the rotation, it'd make more sense to to bump Dolander up to Friday and then beam up to Saturday, have Tidwell uh, pitch on Thursday. That's if they wanted to make a rotation change. If not, you would probably just move burns up to Thursday, Dolander up to Friday, beam up to Sunday or up to Saturday. So though it's it's really weird. There's a lot of contributing factors as I've already just mentioned within this short little answer. They'll, those and these, this conversation that you and I are having right now, type of conversations that are going on at Lindsey Nelson Stadium amongst the coaches. Yeah, and that was kind of my question because regardless of what happens, you're going to have to move somebody around, right? I mean, unless you just 
no, I mean, yeah, you're going to have to move somebody around for sure. So that's why I just kind of had that question, but I just thought it was kind of significant. Like, okay, where at the point in time, whenever they were discussing it, everybody was healthy. You taking burns out of that day. I mean, you're skipping a start. Is he going to be a piggyback? I, I don't know. I don't know. But like we talk about the line that there's flexibility there. And I would expect to see a whole lot of Blake Tidwell starting some baseball games here moving forward. So, um, how about having a, a freshman All-American, you know, being added to your rotation when uh, when a key guy goes down with injury? And, and not only that, too, and, of course, I know we're going to talk about it. I mean, you know, Chase Burns has been, you know, shaken up a little bit. He's been shook the last two outings. And you know he's, you know, he'll, he'll work through it. The, the potential is there. I mean, we've seen just how good he's been as a true freshman everything. It's not like he's not going to bounce back from this. But how long will it take for him to bounce back from this? And so – um, I thought either way, you might be seeing a little bit more titty, you know, moving forward, whether that's piggyback or what, you know, if you get in a situation to where, you know, Burns has been in the last two weeks, but now for sure with the Dolaner injury, here you are. And here's Tony Vitello's exact quote on Blake Tidwell from Friday night after the game, when he was asked about the possibility of Blade moving back into the rotation. He said, we've kind of floated that deal when those Thursday games pop up, maybe trying something. I think we're getting close to that guy who he not only was last year, but I think he'll be better because he's more experienced, more physical, you know, all that good stuff. At some point in the rotation, the one thing you've got with our schedule and it popped up this weekend, you get the quirky Thursday TV stuff. Things we've done before is shuffle things around because of that. Now we're a couple of weeks away from it but that's kind of been floated around in the office. So I certainly think some way or another, whether it's replacing Burns, whether it's replacing Dolander, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, however they decide to do it, it, it does sound like they, they have a thought process of trying to get Tidwell back into the rotation. I mean, I think it's pretty cut and dry. In terms of Chase Burns, how concerned are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Because for me, I'm trying to walk the fine line of recognizing that his last two outings have been really poor, but also reminding myself that it is just two outings. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where I am with this as well. Um, you know, he, again, he's, he's 18. I believe he's a true freshman and he's been phenomenal, you know, to this point, it's only been two outings and, it just feels like it's been so long because, again, you only get one series a week. I know you get a midweek game and all that, but you don't see uh, these weekend guys, you know, throw for the most part in a, in a midweek, if, if ever. You know, typically, if everything's, everything's going well, you don't see it go, happening ever. So I, I think that there's a line of there's something there. There's absolutely something there. Um, but it's not it's not time to overreact, in my opinion. But going two and two thirds, going three, three plus, I think he faced, what, four, you know, three or four batters in the fourth there the other night. And that's not good. That's not winning baseball. Uh, you know, it's not like he was walking a whole lot of guys, at least on Friday, just one walk compared to four strikeouts. But, you know, 74 pitches and three plus innings, that's not great. Four on runs, five overall. Um, not time to overreact because you've seen how good he is. But young guy hitting some adversity, how are you going to work out of that? And how long is it going to last? I think you try to give him the benefit of the doubt for a little bit longer. If it continues, then you got to start making some moves and maybe being even more aggressive with the bullpen, but uh, I would allow him to try to work himself out because, you know, talent got him here to this point. Talent got him here to, you know, being the Friday night starter to begin with, and uh, he's talented enough to work himself out of it. Yeah, I would say I'm in the middle of the road, kind of a, a five, six. Um, Are you looking five. for a number? I'll say I'll say five. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't ask for a number, so yeah. don't don't feel like you forgot to answer a question. It, it was it was me. Me not being good at my job. Um, on that scale, I am a, a five or a, a six. And my two biggest concerns are that he's a freshman and maybe he's running into a wall. I don't think that it would be this early in the season, though, which is why that explanation feels weird. And truly, my biggest, biggest concern is that the velo, the velocity on his pitches, on his fastball, has been down the last two outings. I mean, he, he was sitting more low 90s than upper 90s against Alabama on Friday. That That is never a good sign. And I haven't heard anything injury-wise. I don't think in, anything is up with his injury. Uh, maybe, maybe with an injury, I should say. Maybe it's just a, 
you know, a, a fundamental a technique that, that he needs to iron out. Uh, a mechanic is the word I'm looking for. Maybe it's just his mechanics that are throwing some of his velo off. Uh, but I, I do give Frank Anderson the benefit of the doubt because he is the best pitching coach in America. But but there are some trends there that don't look good, particularly the, the fastball velo falling off a little bit the last two outings. Uh, and his command has not been there either, which could also contribute to, to maybe it is mechanics. Uh, we'll see. And, and I do think he's struggling to throw a third pitch. He is doing that. Uh, that's what's making Drew Bean so good right now is that he throws all three, four of his pitches extremely well, extremely well. Whereas right now hitters are laying off the slider. They're laying off. It's, it's a filthy slider but he's not getting hitters to swing at it because they know the fastball is coming. They're just sitting fastball on him. There's not a third pitch that he can throw in there effectively, consistently right now that's going to keep the hitters off balance, keep them thinking. So they're just sitting slider. They're not swinging at it, and they're waiting on the fastball. And because there's been some command issues, they are absolutely terrorizing his fastball right now and hitting him really hard. So – I am concerned, but ultimately I have faith in Frank Anderson because he's the best pitching coach in America. Well, the development of that changeup in your first offseason is huge. You, you hear so many stories about you know guys who are pitching in the big leagues now who are young guys saying, oh, well, you, they, you know, they, they, they developed and mastered you know, a changeup in the minor leagues or whatever, and now it's what they rely on altogether. Because to your point, you're exactly right. You know, the kidders are smart, especially now with all the things you can study and um, all the all the resources at your disposal. I mean, you know, if you if you know what the strength is for a pitcher, you just sit back and wait and wait and wait and be patient. And then if his command's not on there, then you can send you to just sit back there and wait on your perfect pitch, and then you can dice them. So uh, the development of a third pitch, usually a changeup will be huge. And when you're not hitting that velo that you normally use, you rely on those secondary and third and third pitches, you know, a whole lot more often. And that's just not happening right now. Drew Beam was terrific yet again. Just absolutely terrific on Sunday. Shuts Alabama down. He, he did give up three solo home runs. Gave up four hits total. Three of them were solo home runs. And, and for most of his outing, until he gave up a, a single in his last inning, I believe it was the seventh, Alabama only had three hits, and they were all solo home runs. And I loved what Drew Beam and Josh Elander said after the game, and that's that solo home runs do not hurt you. I love that. I love that mentality. Attack the hitter. If they get you, they get you. Solo home runs do not defeat you. They do not kill you. I love that mentality. And just goes to show one of the many quirks, if you want to call it that, as to why Frank Anderson is so good and why the, the pitching staff has just a, such a, a great mentality. Attack the hitters. Let your defense work for you. And if they hit a solo homer, so be it. It's the Chad Dallas special from a season ago. Yeah, and I mean, he, he usually fills up the strike zone. That's what Josh Elander was talking with uh, with John Wilkerson post game. You know, after after yesterday's start, you know, he's a guy that fills up the strike zone. He's gonna he's, he's gonna throw to throw to contact and let the defense come up behind him. And uh, solo home runs don't get you beat an awful lot. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, I believe, are third in the majors right now in, in home runs, but have only had maybe two home runs with runners on base, which is just just not great, right? It's early in the season, obviously, and you've lost a lot of games. So, um, you know, giving up the long ball with nobody on, that's fine when you're working so well and you've got 10 strikeouts and you're playing good defense behind you. And, you know, that's kind of been what Beam's done all season long. Um, he's been phenomenal. He was he was fantastic again. And how big is he right now pitching the way he is with the question marks now with the two guys in front of him on Friday and Saturday? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And hopefully he does not hit a, a freshman wall. I, I've said this a couple of times, and it's nothing with Drew Beam. It's just what he is doing is unheard of. You, well, he hadn't played see... in two years. Exactly. And forget that. Uh, assume that he has pitched all four years of high school. Pitchers who pitch all four years of high school don't come in and do what Drew Beam is doing. Look yeah. at Chase Burns. I mean, even he has had his freshman moments. And look, we're barely over halfway through the season. His freshman moments may come, but he has been absolutely terrific, especially when you look at what else is, is going on in front of him this particular weekend. Uh, so we probably should not have waited this long to get into it. Don't bury the lead, Ben. Come on. Hey, th this goes back to there were a billion things that took place over the weekend. We, we touched on the injuries. 
We touched on Blade Tidwell and the Chase Burns concerns. Drew Beam was terrific. Bullpen, really good. Once again this weekend, Will Mabry was awesome. Um, I, I think Redmond pitched. Did Redmond pitch this weekend? I don't. Redmond, Redmond pitched on he Saturday. Pitched he, he pitched on Saturday. Okay. See? Uh, I, yeah. Two so innings, much, four yeah. strikeouts, one hit. No <laughs> so, so much happened this weekend. I can't even remember if Redmond pitched. But Ben Joyce looked good. The bullpen just looked good in general. Uh, Camden Sewell, we talked about him. Uh, so the pitching staff was really good. We we still have to talk about the hitting, and we'll get to that after we talk about Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson because Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson were ejected in the first inning of Saturday's game. From my understanding, Tennessee did, did not like maybe some things that were coming from the Alabama dugout, maybe some sign stealing that the coaches were, were tipping off to the players and – not sure how Alabama was doing it. Not sure if Alabama was doing it, but that was the frustration with Frank Anderson, from my understanding. And if that were the case and Alabama was doing that, and then Chase Dolander takes a line drive off of his pitching elbow that could potentially end his season, you can understand why Frank Anderson was as mad as he showed on the field, which led to his ejection. Tony Vitello's ejection came I think that more had that that had to do more with the umpire Jeffrey Macias. I I, I think he shared the frustration. Meditated. Yes, one hundred percent. I I think that Frank or uh, Tony shared the same frustration as Frank uh, with, with some of the things that they thought were going on, but I think Vitello's ejection had more to do with Jeffrey Macias, the the umpire that everybody is now well aware of. He was the home plate umpire on Friday night who had an atrocious night behind the plate. Yep. Then on Saturday, he rings up Tony Vitello in the first inning after Frank. And this all stems after he was on the crew in Omaha in the Texas game last year that ejected Ross Kivett, the former assistant who is now at Houston, ejected him from the dugout. That was when Ross threw the binder onto the field and had to be held back and had, and had plenty of uh, not-so-safe-for-work words <laughs> coming out of his mouth that you could easily lip-read. So there was a history between Tennessee's coaching staff and, and Jeffrey Macias, and I think that's why Tony was as mad as he was. It was just a boiling point that he reached and and it tipped and look Jeffrey Macias was right for ejecting Tony Vitello he he did give a little flop but Tony well he ejected him he ejected him before that now to me Ben of course I wasn't on scene there you were watching from the pro you had a you had a bird's eye view I mean I was in there watching I mean he had his he had his typical Tony Vitello arms folded just sitting there talking and who knows what he said I mean he could have said the world's worst thing in the world but he rung him up and then that's when he but he went ballistic Yes, you're right. You're right. And and I was more so getting to the suspension, uh, and, and we'll get to that. But you're right. Tony just continued to to yap and yap and yap. Don't know what was said, but he, he was out there yapping for a good minute. And Jeffrey just had had enough, ejects him. Tony Vitello gets in his face, gives him a little belly bump. The Italian in him came out. He did flop, Macias. It was a nice little flop. Uh, Would have gotten a flop warning in college basketball. He ran away, man. He ran away. Yeah, and told his other umpires to come get him. Um, so I understand and agree with Tony Vitello's frustration, with Frank's frustration. And and I hate that that little old bump is, is only a game suspension less than Jawan Howard's five-game suspension for punching somebody in the face. I hate that the punishment is very similar for, for two very different situations. But the, the suspension, I mean, it, it fits what happened. You, you can't make contact with an umpire. Yep. It's, it's stated in the rule book that if, if you make that time, I'm paraphrasing, but if you make that type of contact, it's automatic four-game suspension. And it, it just kind of is any what it contact, is. Automatic, like any contact. Not even that, I mean, to, to my knowledge, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, not even that type of contact, any contact. That's, that's what yeah. we're saying. Like the, the bump was, I mean, at the end of the day, it was nothing, right? It was, But it was contact. So... And I'm with you, man. I mean, here, here's the thing. Tony knows that. And if you want to go out there and get tossed, here's the thing. We have very, very, we have on very good authority to tell you right now that Tony Botello was getting tossed this series 
at some point. It was going to happen. Okay. Um, you know, whether getting tossed right after Frank Anderson was that the smart thing to do? Probably not. But if he want, if he thought it motivated the guys, whatever, that's awesome. Can't bump, you can't can't bump an umpire. He knows that it is what it is. Is this the end of the world? Absolutely not. Um, should he be taking shots from national media, which I don't believe he has been? Um, no, I mean, this is not a big deal, but you can't do it. You simply can't, and you move on and all that. See, you do hate that he's going to miss some time and everything. Shout out to Josh Elander. I thought he did a heck of a job the, the remainder of the series of Ricky Martinez. Granted, you know, the the, the chess pieces were, were being moved behind the scenes, but still, um, there are so many, and I'll make this so brief. I've already done this spill like two or three times this morning and, and, and on my podcast. Shout out Locked On Vols. Give it a listen. Shameless plug. There are so many great officials, umpires, referees, white hats, whatever. So many great ones. There is a select few minority who make the game all about themselves. People pay for the price of admission to go watch them. People turn on the TVs to watch them. We all know a few, especially on in basketball. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Macias this weekend was just, I mean, he, he couldn't he couldn't be objective whatsoever. He was so bad. He was so, so bad on Friday night. He was getting it from both dugouts. He was getting it from the fans. He was getting it from Tony. Um, of course, you remember what happened last year in Omaha being a part of that crew. And just from everything, from Tossin Anderson, Tossin Vitello, to, to putting an end to the fur coat midway through game two of a series. I mean, what in the world, right? I mean, if, if they would have came out, exchanging lineup cords on Friday night and said, hey, the fur coat, the daddy hat, we're not going to do it this series. I mean, sure, Tennessee could be like, why? We've done it 35 games this year. What's the deal? But, like, if it was mentioned then, okay. But just making it up on the spot in game two of a three-game set Saturday night, ridiculous. Made it all about himself. So, you know, there's you hate that you really, really do. You know, did he need to be you know harassed at an airport? I don't know that whole story. Absolutely not. Uh, but he made it all about himself this weekend, and he sucked. He was flat out awful. He was atrocious at his job this weekend. So that was that was really, really bad. And you hate the fact that Tony Vitello is going to miss uh, three more games because Tennessee needs Tony Vitello out there. Love the passion, love it. Can't bump an official. Can't bump an umpire. Just can't. You you summed it up perfectly, and. Just the the sentiment that I would add is I'm not exaggerating when I say what I am about to say, and I truly feel this. The worst umpire I've ever seen in my life. He was awful. Awful. I sat right behind home plate on Friday night when he was the home plate umpire, and it was missed call after missed call after missed call at least it was equal opportunity call. no he was equal opportunity that that is true yeah. it, it, he was consistently bad for each team when, when alabama was at the plate he, he missed calls when tennessee was at the plate he missed calls there, there were pitches on the paint of the other batter's box so far outside that he was calling strikes and then there are pitches over the middle of the plate that he was calling balls literally the worst umpire I've ever seen. Hopefully, uh, for Tony Vitello's sake, he does not run into him in tea time soon. But I yep. do think two, two, two things came of that, Eric. I have, I have two general thoughts from the weekend as a result of Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson being ejected, being suspended. Frank Anderson, they were both suspended for Friday's game. That was just a one-game suspension for Frank Anderson. Anytime an assistant coach is ejected. Sunday's game. Yes. Yeah, what I Sunday's say. game. Friday. I was just making sure we were yeah, on yeah, yeah. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Frank Anderson's suspension on Sunday was the only game he will be suspended for because when you are an assistant coach and get ejected, you get an automatic one-game suspension. Tony Vitello, assuming there are no cancellations between now and then, he'll be back on Sunday. And as Eric and I just said a moment ago, when you make contact with an umpire, it's an automatic four-game suspension. It was handed down by the NCAA Sunday morning. So that's that. But my, my two big things that I take away from the weekend, Eric, is that first, we'll start with this one. It is by far the most impressive showing of the season for Tennessee this weekend, given all the circumstances. Alabama is the best team that Tennessee has played to this point. They lose Tuesday night to Tennessee Tech. There's a lot of frustration with Tuesday night's game. The 23-game winning streak comes to an end. On Friday, against this Alabama team that I think is the best team that they have played to this point, they lose 
and are frustrated within that game because of the umpire. Then on Saturday, Dolander gets hurt in the first inning. Frank Anderson gets ejected. Tony Vitello gets ejected. They're suspended for Sunday's game. Still playing this really good baseball team. Top 25 matchup. And all they did after Friday, as I mentioned earlier, after I shaved the stash, they came back and they outscored Alabama 24-6. to Dominated them the past two days. This weekend, by far, in my opinion, the most impressive showing from Tennessee baseball this season. I would agree with that for sure. Um, again, you weren't getting now Sunday score was, I mean, really sad. I mean, nine to two is, is a, a, it's a, it's a butt whooping, right? 15 to four is more like the, you know, the, the, the finals in those series where saying Tennessee's just pouring it on. Right. But I mean, you know, you lost the game in there. It was, it was tight. It was contested. Uh, Tennessee's bullpen came through everything you mentioned. So I would agree with you for sure. And also, and I know you're going to get to this point eventually, but I'm going to beat you to it just because I want to, want to make you mad here. I mean, the SEC Player of the Week, he was fantastic. Jarrell Ortega, what a, what a weekend. Jordan Beck, what a weekend. I mean, Jordan Beck is arguably one of the best players in the country. He's fantastic. I mean, you can just see why he's going to be, obviously, a first-round selection here soon. But, you know, a guy that's been challenged a couple of times this year, right? A guy that has felt the heat from, you know, Christian Moore and some others. Uh, Jarrell Ortega, he's won the bat so well this weekend. Homer Friday. Had four hits on Sunday, including a three-run bomb. He was awesome. And when you had the bats going the way they are, and Tennessee's a great – I mean, Tennessee obviously leads the country in home runs. Uh, you know, they, they they hit a couple more this weekend. This is not new. But when you have all that adversity, when you have all those, you know, you know Burns didn't go long in his start. Dolander didn't get out – or didn't go into the second because of injury. You have an offense that has your pack like that despite everything. Gosh, you feel like you, – you love your chances. You love your chances every single night, right? The offense was terrific for sure, and I'll touch on that before we get out of here. My other takeaway from the weekend, Eric, in addition to it being the most impressive of the season to this point, in my humble opinion, is that no Tony Vitello, no problem. Now, you you would like to have Tony Vitello. He's one of the best college baseball coaches in the country, but because of the culture that he has established, it is flawless. It is impeccable, whatever terrific adjective you want to use. Because of this culture, you can be without your head coach and without a pitching coach that, yes, I continue to say he's the best in the country because he is, but not only is he the best in the country, he's, he's probably the most valuable pitching coach in the country because he's treated like a, a second manager. He has as much say in that clubhouse as Tony Vitello does. And Tony Vitello will be the first to tell you that. I mean, he is yeah. he is like a manager. It's like 1A and 1B. He and, and Tony, and because the culture is so great, and look, Josh Elander is, is great as well. He's a future head coach. He'll, he'll probably be a head coach somewhere next season at, at a significant mid-major school, if not a, a Power 5 school. But the culture is so fantastic that it doesn't need a head coach. It's it's player-led. You have Josh Elander, who is terrific. You have former players in assistant roles, volunteer assistant roles, that can step up and lead the way. Richard Jackson, who was here when, when Vitello first got here. He and Elander brought Luke Bonfield from, from Arkansas. You have Ricky Martinez. You have so many guys that can step up and fill the void in this type of circumstance that this week – they're not going to skip a beat without Tony serving out the remainder of his suspension, even against a very talented Florida team. It helps that Florida is very inconsistent and struggling to get going. They're not playing good baseball right now, but that, that's my second big takeaway from the weekend is that they're, they're not going to miss a beat without Tony this week. I, I would be surprised if, if they struggled Friday and Saturday in Gainesville. Yeah, and I mean, you pretty much said it right there, but like, and, and again, like, I there's no disrespect with this comment that's about to come out, but like, Tony's value is, you know, recruiting, culture, developing, all the things you want in a head coach. You want him there at the game, as you pointed out. Obviously, you're better there with him without him, but I mean, his, you know, in in game managing, you know, like his value is far more away from the actual game, if that makes sense. And again, that is no. That is no slap in the face whatsoever. 
Uh, Frank Anderson handles, handles all the pitching, uh, pitching changes and all that too. So like now being without them, of course, it's all charted here, you know, go get this guy, this many pitches, all that type of stuff. This guy needs to throw, you know, baseball is a numbers game. As you say, and for the love of the game, you, you know, we count everything in baseball for sure. But um, I agree with you uh, for sure. You want Tony there. You'll get him back on Sunday. You'll have Frank Anderson there, which is huge. Okay. Cause like you pointed out, he's just another manager. But, uh, you know, Tennessee's going to be just fine. Tennessee's going to be just fine without Tony over the next couple of days. I want to know, are they going to have the lemonade stand on Tuesday? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that's been a question all weekend long, right? You know, where's the lemonade stand? I think he was too mad to have one on Sunday, but a couple of days to cool off. Here we go on Tuesday. Let's see if it's out there. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. Also wouldn't put it past them to put on a disguise and sneak into the dugout. If I was... he can find a way. <laughs> I was talking to one of my buddies. They were like, Tennessee should just let him speak after the game on Saturday, regardless. I'm like, no, that is against the rules. You can't do that, to my knowledge. What he should have done was, and Tony deleted his Twitter, right? He didn't have a Twitter right now. He has it. He just doesn't use it. Okay. Well, what he should have done was he should have just went live on Twitter at the end of the game from, you know, wherever. Just like, yo, here are my thoughts. That would have been so funny. He wouldn't have been fine, but uh, Tennessee would not have liked that. But that would have been hilarious. That's what he should do on all these – uh all these games he's suspended. He should go live on Instagram during the game. That'd be so much fun. I'm sure he will find something to do to what what he should to, do is right interest. He should join the broadcast with John and, and, and Vince. That's probably against the rules, too. He should come on and, and opt in the general quarters and game throughout with us. I mean, gosh, like <laughs> we need to find him a role <laughs> during his suspension to where uh, he can he can hang out with us. That'd be fun. Well, I don't know if working with John and Vince would be great because he would be liable to drop some words that aren't supposed to be said on on the True. broadcast. But True. Tennessee will be perfectly fine, and part of the reason for that is because this lineup just continues to rake. And I'm glad you mentioned Jarrell Ortega because he was my favorite storyline of the weekend. Uh, a guy that Tennessee was over the moon excited about when they received his commitment out of high school. He's from Puerto Rico, but was playing high school ball in Florida. Josh Elander said after the game on Sunday that Jarrell was his first recruiting trip when he got to Tennessee. And he goes down there, got to, to meet Jarrell, meet his family, secured his commitment, and they were expecting big things from him right away. And then in a tournament, a prominent high school tournament, travel ball tournament, whatever you want to call it, out in New Mexico, he tore his UCL and had to have Tommy John as an infielder, and he had to redshirt his freshman year. And then he comes back after redshirting, after having Tommy John, and last year in the fall, Elander says that he was their best hitter through, throughout the fall. And that's a lineup that had Jake Rucker, Connor Pavoloni, Max Ferguson, Liam Spence, Jake Rucker, all those all those guys from last year, plus this year's guys. Jarrell Ortega was the best out of all of them, but he couldn't find consistent playing time because he was behind Max, behind Liam, behind Rucker. This year, finally gets his opportunity. Teammates absolutely adore him. He, he has an awesome personality, always has a smile on his face, just so fun to, to cheer for and, and follow. I don't struggle is probably too strong of a, a way to describe it, but he didn't start off as hot as he is playing right now. And he just needed to get some playing time under his belt, get some at bats under his belt. And now you are starting to see why Tennessee was so excited about Jarrell when he committed to them. He was phenomenal this weekend, his best weekend of baseball in a Tennessee uniform, zero errors in the field. He led the team in hitting, hit 667 for the weekend, was 8 for 12, a team high eight hits, that is. He had two home runs, five RBIs, a triple, five runs scored. He drew a walk. Jarrell Ortega was awesome. Everybody talks about Jordan Beck, Trey Lipscomb, Evan Russell, Drew Gilbert, Luke Lipsius, and rightfully so, this weekend, Trey Lipscomb, Jordan Beck, they, they helped lead the way. Lipscomb, Beck, Ortega were the three best of this particular weekend. But it's time to start putting Ortega in that same conversation as being one of the main catalysts in the main bats in Tennessee's lineup. And I, I really think that he has carved out a role in that two-hole 
for Tennessee. He was terrific this weekend, and, and it's time to start talking about him as one of the key, key pieces in Tennessee's lineup like we do a Beck, a Gilbert, uh, and those guys. I love him in the two-hole. I really, really do. I know, depending on the matchups, you can move him around, and and that's awesome. I mean, I think he hit, what was it, eighth on Friday night, like, but he hit second the, the rest of the way. I love him in that two-hole. But you're right, he's a guy that does not jump off the charts when you think about this lineup this year, it's Trey Lipscomb. Of course, it's Jordan back. And then you got veterans, Gilbert and Russell and, you know, Jared Dickey and a number of the other guys you mentioned there. He's not a guy. I mean, honestly, he's probably sixth, seventh, eighth in terms of guys you mentioned, but he's been fantastic, man. Um, had a couple of hiccups in the field early on in the season. We spoke on that, but uh, he's really coming into his own. He's hitting well. And he was just, I mean, he was so much fun to watch this weekend. And he was, he was so excited. He, they, you know, ball network interviewed him after the game and, um, you can just hear the joy like in his voice, right? Um, just a guy that knows the hard work has paid off and never materialized. You mentioned the fantastic fall, you know, last year and how you thought that big expectations going into the season last year, couldn't find playing time, didn't have consistency, and now getting to see it. Uh, it's been awesome. He was uh he was awesome. And then again, I mentioned him earlier. This is no surprise. He's one of the catalysts every single game. I mean, Jordan Beck, he was, you know, he was outdone by Ortega this weekend, but gosh, he had a <laughs> He had a phenomenal, phenomenal weekend to Jordan Beck, and that, that comes as no surprise. And another thing that nobody's really talking about, uh, Trey Lipscomb, he, he's on pace to set the Tennessee single-season record for home runs and RBIs. <laughs> he hit his 14th and 15th over the weekend and has 57 RBIs on the season. We're barely over halfway through the season, Kaner. He he has been awesome, and, and he keeps playing himself into a higher and higher draft pick come June. And that bat flip on Sunday was so sweet. And not yeah. even the best part. The The best part of that home run was the bat, the bat flip was terrific. His slow trot around the bases was awesome. But Ricky Martinez, the volunteer assistant who was a shortstop early in Tennessee's or early in Vitello's tenure, he faked a handoff to to Trey. Trey rounds first, and then he pretends to throw a football to him as Trey is running to second. Trey acts like he catches it. It, it was it was really really cool. But uh, Tennessee's big sluggers slugged this weekend. Jordan Beck three home runs against his home state team, the Hazel Green Alabama native. Uh, so Beck and Lipscomb doing Beck and Lipscomb things, and then Jarrell Ortega was just terrific. Let me bring up something, and knowing you, it was probably where you're going next. Can we just give a shout-out to Will Mabry? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Uh, you and I, on the Diamond Balls podcast, on radio Saturday morning, Dylan DeLucia, old Miss Richard freshman, I believe, Dylan, Dylan DeLucia, that's his name, we ripped him. Just uh, even before Ole Miss got rocked the next day, we ripped them, right? I mean, you don't do that. You don't do that. Like, why on earth would you poke the bear? Will Mabry did it. He flat out did it. I cringed. You and I doing a, around the horn. It's like, oh, gosh, you shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done Not that we didn't think Tennessee could bounce back, but it's just you just don't do that, right? Well, Will Mabry did it, and his teammates had his back in a huge way. So, shout out Will Mabry. He pretty much said exactly what Dylan DeLucia said, and they backed it up. So, that, that's, that, that's pretty cool. That's some, some stones there for sure. Yes, and what he said was, I think we're going to come back tomorrow hot. They don't really have a chance, in my opinion. They, they were also partying like they thought they won the World Series. We will let them know how that tastes tomorrow. If you're going to say it wrong, back it you, up. Yes, and his teammates had his back, uh, but he wasn't wrong. Alabama, when they won game one, they acted like they won the World Series. I mean, here's like the way I look at it, like recognize now, like the Twitter account for Alabama, like saying, you know, playing checkers with Chet, like there's two more games left. Like you're a professional account. Like, let's not do that. Um, You know, for the team, I mean, you just beat the number one team in the country. Still recognize there's a weekend to go, but like we can celebrate a little bit, but um. It's always important to remember that there's tomorrow in baseball. There's always tomorrow in baseball. Yeah, even Jared Dickey had a punchline as well, saying that he thought that they would come back and punch them in the throat to start the game on Saturday. Wasn't wrong. 
Uh, but I, I would not expect to see any Will Mabry media availabilities anytime soon. I, I can you know, assure Sean you just said they're like, hey, what did you do? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll be hearing from Will, Will Mabry anytime soon. It was fun while it lasted, Mr. Mabry. It, it was fun. You were not wrong. You just can't say that to the media because there are media members who love to take that and tweet it out. And that'll get back to Alabama. So uh, good weekend for the Vols. Again, Eric, I, I think it was the most impressive weekend of Tennessee baseball this season. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. Um, everything it overcame, uh, everything it had to deal with, um, the fact that you were without your, your two managers, essentially. Um, you know, one of the best pitchers in the SEC goes down. One of the other best pitchers in the SEC uh, did not last long. Um, adversity, you power through it. Now, as we always do, you know, where are you going to go from here? Um, a lot of questions about injuries, a lot of questions about how that rotation is going to look like on the weekend. Maybe we'll get some answered as the week goes on. Got a midweek tomorrow, so looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, I'm intrigued to see what this team looks like this weekend for sure. And, of course, two games without Tony Vitello. So I'm excited to see what this team does against Gainesville, the, the Gators. The Gators. It'll be a fun week. It was a fun weekend. There's always something going on each and every weekend. Ole Miss, there was something going on. Vanderbilt, there was something going on. Missouri, Alabama, even in the midweek games. When you play this brand of baseball and when you when you are the best team in the country, you're going to get something. You know, may not be something big, but there's going to be some type of drama or something sad or some some move during a game because, again, this is – Tennessee is the standard right now in college baseball. Right now it is. And so um, you just got to expect it from here on out. You are spot on, my friend. That'll do it for this edition of the Diamond Vols podcast. We hope everybody had a happy, happy Easter. For Eric Kane, I am Ben McKee. Have a great week.